right, we have been walking through Romans chapter 12, and uh, this is an incredible chapter, just painting a picture of what the follower of Jesus Christ looks like. What does the life of a Christ follower look like? And we're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right back into it. If you have a copy of the scriptures, meet me in Romans chapter 12. We are going to start reading at verse 12. Um, a couple of jam-packed verses. Uh, here's what it says. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, magically uh, the words will appear at the bottom of your screen. It says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Um, now, in the verses right before these, the, the ones that we looked at the last time we were together, virtually speaking, Paul was describing what love looks like in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And um, here in verse 12, he's kind of shifted a little bit to paint a picture of what hope looks like in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, which raises the question, I'm just wondering, are you a hopeful person. Now, we all know that the life of a follower of Jesus ought to be marked by love, but I don't know if you knew this, but the life of a follower of Jesus ought to also be marked by hope, which raises the question again, are you a hopeful person? I know, right? It's a tough question to answer, until we maybe take a few moments to give some definition to hope, what do you mean? Before I commit to an answer about whether or not I'm a hopeful person, what do you mean by hope? Now, once again, if we take our cues and our definitions from the culture, if we let the culture define this world much like the word love, we are going to find ourselves missing the way the Bible uses this word, the word hope. When, when the word hope shows up in the Bible, it's typically speaking of the guarantee of a future outcome. That's what hope means. The guarantee of a future outcome. It's when I know ahead of time the way something is going to turn out. That's a powerful word. Clairvoyance? Nope. Hope. Psychicity? Nope. Hope. It's the guarantee of a future outcome. Um, now, culturally, when we typically use the word hope, what we usually mean is wish, and those are not the same thing. When I say I hope, I often just mean I wish, but it's not the same thing. Wishing is when I really, really want something, but I have no reason to, to believe that it should happen. 
but I still really, really wanted. Oh my word, I, um, um, I, I really wish that I could marry the Biebs. Now, not me personally, but some might say. Um, and I might say to you, well, I'm not even gonna give you one of those like dumb and dumber, so you're telling me there's a chance type of possibilities on that. No, it's not gonna happen. A, Haley's already got him, the Biebs is taken. And B, also, he's kind of out of your league. Sorry. And C, you wish. Um, man, I, I just wish this Rona thing would just up and go away by next week. Yeah. You wish, right? When we use the word, we are talking about eyes closed, fingers crossed. I really want something, but there's no real reason for me to believe that this thing should happen for me. Um, wish me luck, because I'm hoping that something is going to happen for me. Um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and try out for a minor league baseball team because uh, I've been playing catch in the backyard with my grandkids and I've been crushing them. So I hope I make the team. Grandpa, y you are using the word hope in the wishful sense. And we will all tell you, yeah, you wish. We use it when we're talking about like a casino. I, I took a trip and, you know, I'm going to go gamble. And I, I hope that I still have a house and a wife when I get back. When this word shows up in the Bible, biblical hope is not a bet. It's not a gamble. It's not a shot in the dark. It's not, you know, wishful thinking. It's not a, you know, four out of 10 probability. No, when the word shows up in the Bible, it is speaking about a guarantee. I know ahead of time what is going to happen. Now, I know I've shared this story before about my one time when my family uh, deeply betrayed me, but they deserve to be thrown under the bus again. So let me just tell you what happened. It was terrible. Um, I don't even remember what season of The Voice it was. Uh, I just remember that we were watching it together as a family. And uh, listen, I don't suffer commercials, so obviously we are DVRing this thing and we're watching it uh, a little bit later on. But um, it was, uh, uncharacteristically, we had all picked the same contestants to win uh, the whole thing. And you know, every week when we're watching the elimination episodes, we are just freaking out on the edge of our seats white knuckle it's it's a phrase you know just super um super anxious you would think well those like a you know some kind of a lottery for the hunger hunger games or something like that happening but we would be freaking out uh, i can still remember uh the final episode came um along and um carson daly the host finally announced the winner and we are panicking because the, uh, the guy we liked his rival was killing it and so it was too close for comfort and so when Carson announced the winner and the winner was the guy we were cheering for I leaped from the couch like a gazelle both in my elegance and in my elevation as well uh mind you I am freaking out I'm screaming I'm celebrating and after about a minute of this 
I look at the rest of my family and I notice like I'm the only one celebrating. Mmm, this seems super suspicious. So my immediate thought slash question was, were you guys like low-key cheering for the enemy? You traitors. And they kind of start to chuckle because what they had done was actually worse. Worse, I tell you. They had together gone ahead and found out who won the voice in that season. And that whole episode, they're faking anxiety and they're faking like they're super, super nervous about the outcome. But they had cheated and they found out who won the voice. Those traitors. Needless to say, they stayed in a motel for a couple of weeks. And I just wanted to ask, do you think that that was too harsh of me? No, I agree. That is appropriate. You don't do that. There is a code. If you and your spouse are watching The Office together, you don't jump ahead an episode or two. You selfish spouse. That is not okay. And my family apparently thought it was okay to betray me in this way. Um, there is a word for what they did on that final episode of The Voice. Hope. <laughs> hope. What they experienced was hope. It's the thing that happens when you know the outcome ahead of time. Hope. Uh, one time, uh, there was a, a, a pretty mega celebrity um, who got in trouble with the law and ended up uh, going to prison for about five months. Now, this person paid their debt to society, so I don't want to drag the name through the mud by renaming them. So let's just call this person um, Partha Slewart. <laughs> so, so anyway, <laughs> Partha, and by the way, when I say... Uh, in prison for five months, I mean was quarantined in her multi-million dollar house for five months. But that's still pretty gangster, if you ask me, because have you ever been quarantined in your house for five? All right, never mind. But anyway, what happened was um, she had stock in a certain company or in a certain product, and her broker gave her a tip that that particular product was going to tank the next day. So Partha sold a bunch of her stock, you know, in that particular product. Or however it works. You're smarter than me. You know the way this works. But that is illegal. That is insider trading. When you have special information that gives you an advantage over everybody else. And so while everybody else is still making their educated guesses, Partha knew what was going to happen and was able to make decisions ahead of time. That is illegal, but there is also another word to describe what she experienced, and it's hope. I think you're getting my point. When the Bible uses the word hope, it is speaking about someone who has a guaranteed outcome. They know the way something is going to turn out ahead of time. It's a powerful word. It's not the way we typically use the word in our culture. It's the guarantee of a future outcome. So let me ask the question again. Are you 
a hopeful person. Notice I didn't ask you if you have hope. That would be a ridiculous question. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, of course you have hope. The broker of heaven has given you all kinds of guarantees about future outcomes. If this book is full of guarantee after guarantee about the way things are going to happen ahead of time, you have this information. It's legal insider trading. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, of course you have hope. That's not the question I'm asking. I'm asking, do you live like you have hope? Do you live like you have guarantees of future outcomes or not? Do you live like you know or do you live like you wish? Are you a hopeful person? Now I can see, I can see you. Some of you are still looking at me funny like I don't I don't feel like I have any clue about any future outcomes. Don't tell me I have hope. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, the day after that. I don't think I have too much in terms of guarantees. Oh, yes, you do. Um, and it is my joy to remind you of a few of the guarantees you have about the future. In fact, let me just take a couple from the book of Romans since that's the one that we've been looking at. Um, here's one. The sin you struggle with today will not win. Guaranteed. Oh, there's a little holy insider information that you can bank on. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law. You are now under grace. Sin will no longer be your master, whatever sin you are wrestling with, whatever sin you may be struggling with, whatever sin that seems like it, it's, it's kind of getting the upper hand on you now is a lie. I'll have you know it will not get the last word. Future guarantee on that. Alconda, you think? I don't think. I know. It's a guaranteed outcome. Um, here's another one. Um, every ounce of pain you experience is leading you to a bliss you cannot imagine. Guaranteed. Every ounce of pain you might be experiencing now is leading you to a bliss you cannot. Let me show you. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing 
with the glory that will be revealed in us. Guarantee your pain is a prelude to a party. This is a guarantee. No drop or ounce of your pain is wasted. It's going somewhere. Or you think, I don't think I know it's a guaranteed outcome. I'm just telling you, you have hope. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, of course you have hope. Um, here's another one. Every bad thing will be for your benefit. Name it. Name any bad thing, and I guarantee you it will be for your benefit. And the reason I know it is because the insider trading, the broker of heaven, said to us, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things, boy, all things, that includes all the bad things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't matter how tough COVID is. It doesn't matter how tough the heartbreak is for you. You don't work for COVID. COVID actually works for you. You don't work for the heartbreak. That heartbreak actually works for you and it will have to deliver your good to your doorstep Guaranteed you're going to look a little more like Jesus. You're going to sound a little more like Jesus. You're going to feel a little more like Jesus on account of these things that are happening in your life right now. You, you think so? No, I know so. And I could do this all day, by the way. Do you have somewhere to go? Um, let me give you one more. Guaranteed you will never be unloved again. Never. Guarantee. <laughs> that is such a great guarantee, especially for those of us who are on the hunt and on the prowl and we're believing that, you know, maybe what happened in the past is going to define my future. Or maybe if I one day get this, then I'll somehow be loved. No, guaranteed you will never be unloved again. Romans chapter 8 verse 38 says this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, um, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, your mom or your dad, that jerk or that wench, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter who leaves you or who stays. Doesn't matter who accepts you or who doesn't. In the ways that matter most to your soul, you will never, ever be unloved again. You think so? No. I know so, a guaranteed outcome. So let me ask you again. Are you a hopeful person? I'm not asking you if you have hope. You have 
all the hope in the world. I'm asking you, do you live like you know or do you live like you wish? I'm asking you, do you live as if you have some insider information and some guarantees about future outcomes? Are you a hopeful person? Well, uh, Paul tells us a few ways that we can tell. Um, it tells us a few ways we can know if we are living hopefully. Um, uh, number one, joy. Joy. Are you a happy person? If you are hopeful, you will be happy a lot. Is that you? Does your heart smile in a way that lets your face know about it? I'm super joyful, just people just don't know. Okay, best kept secret. Not that kind of joy. Are you happy um, in a way that's experienced and expressed? And no, I'm not going to give you some Greek definition of the word joy or the word happy. Let's just answer that question in plain old English. Are you happy? Or are you waiting for something to happen to make you happy. Here's what Paul says. Verse 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope. Woo! That's good. If you are hopeful, you will be happy because joy runs on hope. Notice, Paul said, be joyful in hope. Be joyful in the guarantees you have about the future. That's really key. He doesn't say be happy in your situation because come on somebody, your situation might be great today and 24 hours from now, the whole thing shifts. If you make the mistake of hitching your happiness to your circumstances, you are going to be super moody. And the people around you will say it too. You are so moody. I don't know what you be from one moment to the other, which is an evidence that you have hitched your happiness, not to hope, but to some situation, to some circumstance. I love that he doesn't say, be happy in that relationship. Because when he changes his mind, your happiness changes. The floor is pulled out from beneath you. He doesn't say be happy in the football season, Jeff Gill. Otherwise, Big Ten may cancel the whole thing. And then what? 
then Pastor Jeff is going to be crabby around the office the whole time because he doesn't say be happy in work. He doesn't say be joyful in your employment because when furlough shows up, there it goes. He doesn't say be happy in kids being back in school because if your happiness is based on that, then the, I'm not even going to say that one. Um, let's just all be happy together. He doesn't say be happy in your dreams because your dreams are fragile. You may realize them, you may not. He says be happy in the guarantees you have about the future. And when he speaks about hope and these guarantees, he's speaking about the ones that have been revealed to us in the word of God, as long as you have God's guarantees about your future, you can be happy in your present. That's hope. If you have guarantees about God's future for your life, you can have joy and happiness in the present because your happiness is not attached to anything that shift when you hitch your happiness to a guarantee what do you think is going to happen Woo! i'm not smiling because of my circumstances right i'm not smiling because of the pain i'm not smiling in the divorce that's not what this is about. I'm not smiling because of the economy or the diagnosis. I'm not smiling because of the breakup. No, you're going to find the follower of Jesus Christ smiling because I know that those things, though they may be painful, work for me and are going to have to deliver my good to my doorstep. And so I can smile even in the face of bad things because I have some guarantees about their ultimate outcome. Uh, man, looking back on it, um, <laughs> do you know how weird it was for me to look back um, on my treacherous family? And remember pictures of them biting their nails and, and sitting all anxious, like, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen. And they're just fake panicking. Just, it's going to take me a while to get over that. And they're holding their breath. When the whole time they knew who won. It's not right. But it made me think that might be what the angels in heaven experience when they look at the church oftentimes. Like how odd. They're over here panicking and sulking and wallowing and freaking out. Like they don't know how this thing ends. Like they don't have guarantees. That is an odd thing to watch. But when I cling to hope, to the guarantees I have about what I know God is going to do, then I can smile. So I'm just asking, are you hopeful? Based on 
your level of happiness and the consistency of your happiness and the depth of happiness and the expressions of your happiness. Are you a hopeful person? Uh, Paul tells us if you are hopeful, you will also be super patient. And that makes so much sense, right? If I know that God is going to take care of something guaranteed, I'll be okay to wait. Hope is going to be incredibly patient. If I know my pain is a prelude to my glory, it won't be easy, but I'm not going to give into despair in the moments of pain. I'll be okay to wait because I have guarantees about the outcome. I can hang on a little bit. I can hang on a little bit. If I know everything is going to end up for my good, I won't feel like everything has to be good right now. I'll wait. I'll wait. Here's what Paul says, Romans 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. Um, patient in affliction. When I have hope in the most difficult and desperate times of my life, that hope is going to preach to my heart, wait for it. Oh, wait for it. No, 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 don't bail out now. Wait for it. Patient in affliction. Things are not perfect, but I know the outcome. I can wait. Things hurt now, but I have insider information. Glory is coming. I can wait a little bit longer. Things around me are breaking and broken, but excuse me while I refuse to be breaking and broken because this is not the outcome. I'm gonna hold fast and wait for. When you know the future outcome, you are able to wait for it. You are able to wait for it. And I've shared this before. This is the difference between my wife picking my kids up from school and me picking my kids up from school. My wife says, I'll be there at a certain time and she'll be there at a certain time. And so they'll wait pretty comfortably if for any reason it feels like it's veering a little bit. Me, I'm like, I may be there at this time or this time or that time, or maybe tomorrow. So eh, we'll see. So of course they're gonna be a little bit restless in that regard. When I have a guarantee of what God is going to do, he's coming, glory is on its way. Transformation is in process. I'm able to wait a little bit. You want to know if you're a hopeful person, do times of pressure or discomfort bring patience out of you? And sadly, I am seeing a lot of panic in the church. 
which is telling me that we are trading what we know for what we see. Which makes it really difficult for us to wait. If I'm looking at what's happening right now in front of me, around me, and that's what's informing my heart, I'm going to have a very difficult time waiting. I'm seeing a lot of just restlessness um, in the church, which tells me the hope of the world, this church that Jesus has left on earth, has become almost the wish of the world. We've become so much more wishful. Like crossing fingers and, and man, I, I hope this outcome, but I'm not sure what's going to happen. And what starts to happen is we start to press. We start to feel the pressure to have to fix everything right now. What's broken is this and we've got to do something about it right now. It's on us to fix the whole thing. We've lost the sense of the guarantees. And so now we're taking it upon ourselves to guarantee the outcome. Ooh. Heaven might be telling us, church, that's my job. And I've already guaranteed the outcomes. You can actually wait and be a little more patient even in this season. I'm seeing a lot of anxiety, which tells me we're losing sight of the guaranteed outcome. And we're starting to pay more attention to the worst possible outcomes. And we as a church are becoming paranoid. We are starting to, to talk conspiracy theories. And we're starting to see, no, are they trying to do this? I know their agenda. And we're seeing agendas everywhere. And it's just making us super anxious, super restless, super paranoid. I'm seeing vindictiveness emerging in the church. Because these people who've done wrong have got to pay now. And beside that, it's on us to be vigilantes for heaven to ensure that the right people pay and the right people pay now. But when you understand the guaranteed outcomes, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And we're going to look at this in the next couple of weeks. You're able to be it's really interesting. It felt like the church started this pandemic season really well. Like, oh, a pandemic, quarantine, what a novel concept. I wonder if maybe perhaps the Lord, in his wisdom, may be peeling us away from the things that we, we've maybe clung to and have maybe possibly become idols. Have your way with us. Lord, I wonder if the Lord isn't giving us opportunities to maybe carry his hope to the world in, in new and meaningful ways. And by week five, we were like, that is enough, Lord. You've had your chance to do what you wanted to do. We are done waiting for it now. We're out. And patience just snuck out the back door. We forgot the guarantees, the outcomes that we have we want things fixed we want them fixed now 
And I've seen just too much of us getting very angry that they are not. They are not being done the way we think they should be done now. But Paul says, no, if you're hopeful, you're going to find patience. Wait for it. Wait for it. We know this is not how it ends. Wait for it. Wait for God's good. Wait for God's time. Wait for God's vengeance. Wait for it. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't acknowledge the pain and the dissonance and the tension and the anxiety and the yuckiness of difficult seasons. Hope doesn't mean that I don't hurt. It, it doesn't mean I don't struggle. It, it doesn't mean I don't wish things were different. It just means I pray like crazy. Which is interesting because one of the evidences that you're hopeful is prayer. Prayer. When what I know is not what I see yet, I pray the difference. One of the evidences of hope is prayer. It's not that I don't feel panic. It's that I turn panic to prayer. God, I am freaking out about the economy right now. Would you please give me the courage to stand on the guarantees I know? Pray the panic. Prayer. It's not that I don't feel pain. It's that I bring my pain in prayer and I say, God, heal me. But also remind me that no ounce of this pain is wasted. It's a prelude to a little party called glory that will be revealed in me. Remind me of the guarantees even in the midst of all of it, but heal me, Lord, please, and heal me quick. It's not that I don't feel pressure. It's that I turn that pressure to prayer. I don't know how much more of this pandemic I can take. I don't know how much, much more of this uncertainty I can handle. Please make the reality of what is guaranteed to come more real to me than what I'm experiencing right now. God, do that thing that only you can do. It's not that I don't see all of the brokenness around. It's that I bring it to the only one who can ultimately fix, to the only one who can ultimately restore. The last part of Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, and be faithful in prayer. When what I'm believing for is not yet here, I pray that what I know will be more real to me than what I see and what I feel and what they say and what I read and who stays, and who leaves, and all of these other things. God, make 
hope real to me. Not just something I read about, but something that I cling to. And it becomes a reality that informs me. I pray about it. I pray about it. I don't quit. I don't fake it. I don't pretend. I beg God, remind me of your guarantees. Does your prayer intensify as the challenges rise? You know you're a hopeful person when you pray for the guarantees to win the war of your mind. Yeah, I see what's happening now, but I have a guarantee on that. Yeah, I know what's going on, but there's a guarantee of where it's going. Ultimately. And then finally, Paul says, if you're hopeful, you're going to care for hurting people. You're going to care. And again, that makes sense. When I'm unsure what the future holds, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cling to as much of right now as I can. And I'm not going to want to let go of it. I'm going to need the safety of clinging to what I have right now. And what happens is I, I lose sight of the fact that I've been called to be somebody who lives with open hands. I've been called to, to bring hope to the people in my world. I've been called to be a source of relief. I've been called to be a source of refreshing to the people who are struggling and hurting in the world around me. But when I lose sight of the guarantees and I've got to hold on to some things because I don't know what may or may not happen tomorrow. And I lose sight of the mission. Paul says in verse 13, share, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality because hopeful people don't hoard. Hopeful people don't hoard, right? You hoard when you, you want to guarantee that you have enough for the future. But what happens when you already know? My God will supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What happens when I have that guarantee? What happens when I have the guarantee that God will ensure that I am always able to be generous? How do I live when I have that kind of guarantee? You better believe I live with open hands. I live with an open heart. I live with an open home. Now I can care for the people in the world around me who are hurting, the people in the world around me who are lonely, the people in the world around me who are breaking, the people in the world around me who are feeling hopelessness because I have guarantees. I have enough guarantees to lend you some of my guarantees to bring some relief, to bring some refreshing into your world. One of the evidences of a hopeful church is a church that is on a mission living open-handed in generosity because I can't outgive God. So as I continue to engage these mission opportunities, as I continue to look around and see people beyond myself who are in need, I'm reminded of the mission I have and I'm reminded of why I am here. And I get to live caring for people around me, sharing the resources I have and being hospitable, opening up my heart, opening up my home to those who are 
in need. And as a church, boy, that's the desire in this season and in every season. Because the world right now, the culture right now needs to see a church that is living like they know not living like they wish, not living like wishes luck, fingers crossed, eyes closed. The world right now needs to see a church that has guarantees about future outcomes. And so the weight on our shoulders is off. We get to run with freedom. We get to love with freedom. We get to engage with freedom. We pray our pain away. And of course, we're going to experience some more pain and we're just honest about it. And we pray that pain as well. I think there is an incredible window right now for the church to actually be the hope of the world, pointing to the ultimate hope that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It is a key question. Are you hopeful? Are you living out of the guarantees you have about future outcomes? And the world should be wondering, hey, how come we're on the edge of our seats and we're panicking and we're freaking out? We're like, yeah, man, we already watched this show. We know who won. Sorry. <laughs> we had some insider trading information and we know how this thing wraps and so allow us to come alongside you allow us to be the hands and feet of jesus and so again for you at mission point even as you hear us continue to, to invite you into opportunities and uh, these um initiatives over the course of the next number of weeks uh, we would encourage you to enter into those because the way we care for the people around us is an evidence of our hope what's your care look like what's your patience looking like what does your your prayer world look like what does your happiness look like because you have every reason and every guarantee you need to live hopeful don't waste the hope you have. Let's live like it. And so, Father, I pray again for the courage to look at the guarantees that you have given us and to live out of them. This world desperately needs to see a hopeful church. And many of us in the church desperately needs to come back to a place of hope. And so I pray that you'd forgive me for the ways in which I've taken my eyes off of what you've said you were going to do. And I felt the pressure to fix. And I found myself angry and I found myself, you know, feeling things that I'm not bringing to you in prayers. I pray that there'll be a reawakening, a reintroduction of hope in your church, the kind of hope that breaks out of the walls and you use it to change the worlds around us. Thank you for the ultimate hope we have in the person of Jesus Christ. The guarantee that he will return to take us home. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.